You're listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, an interview series podcast that highlights the stories of the top business professionals around the world. In each episode, we explore how entrepreneurs overcame blindness in business in order to execute their vision. This podcast is brought to you by Penji. I'm your host, Jonathan Grzbowski, and today we have Aaron Walker on the show. Aaron is a businessman and life coach. He has inspired many through his leadership, mentorship, and consistent pursuit of excellence. He enjoys helping others and believes experience is a great teacher. 39 years of entrepreneurship and marriage have given Aaron a wealth of experience. Aaron continues to reach new heights and broaden his perspective of the terrain by examining his experiences and growing from them. Some of the highlights of this episode for me is that you, you ever just like talk to someone and instantly connect with them. That's the perfect summary of this episode. I did a decent amount of research prior to this episode to further understand Aaron's approach to business and background. I initially reached out to him because I was curious to hear about his book, A View from the Top, and also about his masterminds. What I got was so much more. Initially, masterminds have been this relatively gimmicky way of getting together like-minded people to talk about making money but never truly do. That was my mindset. That was my understanding. That was my definition. But what I learned about mentorships and about masterminds from Big A was my perspective was completely wrong. A mastermind is a brotherhood or a sisterhood. It's a place where you can rely on others to bring you up when you're down or celebrate the successes that you have that surround you. This episode is an education about this episode isn't just an education about masterminds. It's an episode that defines how important relationships are. Big A also goes into detail about his love for family and a few anecdotal stories that are absolutely amazing and an absolute joy to hear. Let's get to it. Today's episode is sponsored by Penji. Are you in charge of marketing for your business and need graphic design support? Let Penji design anything you need for your business, from a logo to your marketing materials, sales sheets, social media content, and so much more. Penji helps you achieve more with unlimited graphic design support, daily output, and a dedicated project manager, all at one flat monthly rate. We have an exclusive offer to the Blind Entrepreneur community. Head over to penji.co and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month. Again, that's penji.co, P-E-N-J-I dot C-O, and use the coupon code BLIND for 15% off your first month of Penji. And now... Let's get to today's episode. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, buddy. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited for this one. So before we get into the episode, we have to lay the foundation as to why you are a qualified expert to talk about living a life of success and significance. You know, I had a lot of success early on as a young entrepreneur, 18, starting my first business, retiring at 27 going on to sell out to a fortune 500. And then by the time I was 40, we had built multiple businesses and you know, my story a little bit, and we'll get into it. If you want to had a horrific automobile accident when I was 40 years old, where I ran over and killed a pedestrian 
took the next five years off and discovered that I had no significance in my life. Great success financially, but no significance. And I've spent the past 18 years really diving in to having a measure of significance. I've written a couple of books now. We have mastermind members all over the world. And I feel like that I am the expert, quite honestly, in how to teach you also after a dozen businesses to live a life of success and significance. Well, we're excited to get into all of that. And I'd like to kind of take you back all the way to the very beginning. Uh, and, and so the story goes back as far as you growing up in a relatively poor household. But the interesting thing that I found was the impact that your father made in order to kind of lay the foundation from what I believe to lay the foundation to what you are today, which is a 39-year year veteran entrepreneur. Can you talk a little bit about the significance of growing up from where you were and the yeah. teachings that your father inevitably gave you? Yeah. You know, when I go back and look at the way I was raised, uh, I have no regrets at that because it's given me the uh, stamina, the grit, the determination, the perseverance to be the entrepreneur that I am today. And I think the story that you're alluding to is I was about nine or 10 years old. My dad was a general contractor. He never made probably more than $15,000 a year in his life. We had four children in the house, my two parents. We lived in a house that was about 600 square feet. Mm -hmm. And so my dad gave $6,500 for the house that we lived in. Very modest house, very, very small with six people living in it. And one day went to work with my dad during the winter and I saw my dad sweep the snow off of a roof so he could tear the roof off, re-roof it uh, so that we would have something to eat that night. And I thought, you know what? That is very admirable of my dad, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to do that. So I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew what I didn't want. And it really fueled something in me to do better in my life. Over the course of my life, my dad taught me a lot about character and integrity, how to be a man that's honest above reproach. And that really built the foundation for me today in order to take what little that I know uh, and really focus on that and be a successful entrepreneur and do it with a high degree of integrity. What I would love to hear more about is the definition of success and significance. And what does that mean to you? Because mm -hmm. you being a 39 year veteran of, of entrepreneurship, which, you know, amazing in itself, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about has the definition of success or significance changed from when you first started to what you are today? You know, I think, Jonathan, that we've all got to make a decision in our life what success even means. And a lot of people think primarily it just means financial. They're like, you know, it's all about the money. And that's quite honestly the definition that I had in my mind early on as a young entrepreneur. When I was eight years old, I worked at the bread box, a little convenience store, and I wanted to make some money. And they paid me like a dollar an hour or something. I mean, it was next to nothing. And then as I got older, my dad made an offer for me to go to work with him at uh, a beauty shop and turn it into a pawn shop. And I didn't even know what a pawn shop was. And at the end of that, when I was 13 years old, I asked Herb Berry, I said, hey, could I have a job here? And he said, what would you do? And I said, I'll do anything you want. I'll clean up, I'll sweep, I'll wipe these showcases. It doesn't matter to me. I'll do whatever you want. I just want a job. And he paid me a dollar and 70 cents an hour. 
he hired me on the spot and I worked for the next two or three years for a buck 70 an hour. And at the time I was always thinking not about significance. I was thinking about making money. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I went in partners with a couple of guys and my focus was on making money. I wanted to make a lot of money because I'd never had any money and I wanted to make a lot of money. And we did. I mean, we sold our company at, you know, 27 years old to a fortune 500 and we were through. It was like, this is utopia. This is the American dream. I go from broke as a convict to retiring at 27 years old after not having anything in just a nine year period. And I thought, this is amazing. Robin woke me up from a nap. We got married two weeks out of high school. So we've been married all this time. Robin wakes me up and she said, you've gained 50 pounds in 18 months. You're getting in the bed in the middle of the day. I was extremely bored. I didn't have anything to do. You can only play so much golf. You can only fish so much. You can only hunt so much. And then you're like, what am I going to do now? And I caught myself watching reruns of Andy Griffith. I'm like, this is no life for me to be living. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that it was all about making the money. I was working so I could quit. And I'm like, guys, if you're doing that today, stop doing that. Because the money doesn't scratch the itch like you think it's going to scratch the itch. So as I got older, I started thinking, you know, what does success even mean? Like, is that, is that just money? And for me today, Jonathan, quite honestly, success means choosing my own schedule. I love to do that. I love to have the financial freedom that I can choose my own schedule. And engaging family and meaningful relationships are everything to me. My family lives close to me. Both my daughters work in our business. I have five grandchildren today. So those relationships are absolutely paramount to me. Before it was the money. And yeah, I want to clarify something. There's nothing wrong with making money. I love to make money. I want to make more money. I enjoy making money. I like going on nice trips and taking my kids and grandkids with me. I like to have a nice house. But I don't want to make money my God. I don't want to make it the only reason that I do what I do. And I want to encourage you guys today not to do that. I hate it when people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. It is important. It's very important. But don't make it your central focus. So success has different meanings for different people. I love to have a clear conscience with every transaction. Used to when I was younger, I was like, it was about the money and I would rationalize some of the things that I did. I would try to look the other way. My mom would always say when I was a kid, if you have to rationalize something, it's probably wrong. And so I want to encourage the listeners today, if you're rationalizing what you're doing, you're not going to have a great measure of success because your conscience is going to be clouded. And I would encourage you to do that. Many other things, uh, being uh, content without being complacent. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like, I think we're supposed to be content in every situation, but not complacent. And you've been following me for years. You know, man, I like to pedal to the metal. I like to get up and go. But for me, that is being successful. It's not being complacent, but it's being content. And then the last thing for me in uh, being successful is I want to leave a legacy of wisdom. Someday when I'm parallel and I'm done, the time has come, I want people to say, hey, that guy was hugely successful because he left a legacy of wisdom. Like Jonathan's life was impacted. It was different. It was better as a result of having known me. And if I can accomplish those things over the course of my life, I think I'll be successful. And you're doing that 
very well with the mastermind groups that you are, that you're holding. And something that I heard that I never even thought about until I read it in, whether it was like another uh, blog that you wrote or maybe one of your podcasts, I'm not entirely sure where I saw it, but you bring up the idea behind isolation is the enemy of success. Uh, Isolation is the enemy to excellence. Oh, I'm sorry. It was mis- That's okay. That's it was okay. misquoted then. So no. is- isolation yeah. is the enemy to excellence. excellence. Can yeah. you expand on that a little yeah. bit further, please? Yeah. When I was young, when I was a young businessman, I was pretty cocky. I was. Uh, I thought I was the golden child. I thought, hey, I come from nothing and I've had these successful businesses. You would have not, Jonathan, had me on your podcast as a guest <laughs> in my 20s or early 30s. I can promise you. Because I thought, hey, I got this thing. I can do this thing. And so I didn't surround myself with other people. I was kind of an island. I was to myself. And Robin cornered me one day in an argument we were having. And, you know, I said, hey, I got this. And she goes, you know what? You're pretty condescending. You can be pretty arrogant. And people don't like being around you. Hmm. And, man, it hurt. I mean, when she said that, I mean, it stung. And I thought, man, I'm going down a bad path here. Just because you've been successful at a few things doesn't mean that you can isolate yourself. So when I started thinking through that, and I read that quote, it's not original to me. I read that quote, but it really meant something to me. Isolation is the enemy to excellence. So years later, Dave Ramsey came to me at uh, the Curb Center in Nashville. We were at a concert. Dave and I have been friends since he started. I was his second sponsor on his radio show, and we sponsored his show 21 consecutive years. And so out of that came a great friendship. So back in the early 90s, uh, when I started advertising with him, and we grew that relationship. Shortly after that, Dave came to me one day at a concert. and He said, hey, I want you to join my mastermind group. And I'm like, Dave. I don't even know what a mastermind group is. And he started laughing and he said, just come to my office. He lived in Franklin. I live in Hendersonville. It's about 30, 40 minutes. He said, just come to my office. And he said, I'll introduce you to some of the guys that we're getting together forming a mastermind group. So Jonathan, I was nervous. I was like, I don't, I don't want to go. Like, what am I going to say? I don't know these guys. I only know Dave and I don't know who these guys are. So I get there. They introduced themselves, and I won't go through who all the guys are, a lot of the guys you would be familiar with today, but went around the table, and I was like, I don't want to tell them anything about myself. Like, I don't want them to know that I don't know everything, and I don't want them to know some of my failures. And And how old were you again? Yeah, this is a couple of decades ago. So, yeah, yeah. And so, I said, I don't want to tell them these things. I don't want to expose myself. I don't want to, because if I do, then they won't think as highly of me. That's what I thought. As I continue to go week in and week out, week in and week out, year after year, I loved it because they were guys that were non-biased. They were my trusted advisors. They didn't have anything to gain or lose as a result of what we talked about. So I let that veil down. I let this shield down. And I said, hey, I'm struggling in this area, and they helped me, or I'm struggling in that area, or I don't like to read. And Dave Ramsey looked at me, he goes, I don't care if you like to read or not, you're going to start reading. You don't learn through osmosis. You just don't wake up smarter. We got to get in. We got to dig. Ann Miller is in the group, 48 Days to the Work You Love, and he looked at me and he said, hey, I've heard you talk about the news a lot, and that's a depressing thing. I want to challenge you to quit watching the news. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? 
And he goes, nah, man, you need to quit watching the news. You need to start filling yourself up with TED Talks and great blogs and podcasts and reading great books. And, and I went home and told Robin, I said, we're not watching the news anymore. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, we're done. So I haven't watched the news in 20 years. <laughs> and I'm like, done with that because I can't take another baby killing and a murder and a rape and a bombs. It's like, man, you go to bed and try to sleep and you can't. But instead, now we're reading positive things and we're helping radically change the lives of other people in a positive way, not in a negative way. And I started discovering that I couldn't do these things on my own. See, I didn't have the willpower. I didn't have the stamina. I didn't have the ability to know these things on my own. And when you're surrounded by 10 people on a regular basis, that give you that encouragement, they empower you, they lift you up and they say, you can do this thing, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. It negates the isolation. And now you become excellent at everything that you do. I've personally never been to or have partaken in any type of mastermind group. I consider interviews, this podcast, as my version of a mastermind group. Can you, I guess, tell me a little bit more about maybe some success stories that you have within the mastermind group? And is it something that you would recommend to other people? Uh, I, I just want to hear your philosophy behind that because it's something that I see constantly, but it's maybe, and I'm sure a lot of people may not have the financial resources that are listening to partake in a mastermind, but still need that level of advice that, uh, and quality that a mastermind brings. So I'd love, love to hear just your take on that. Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples for me personally, and then I can share some examples of men that are in our mastermind group now. There was a time, Jonathan, and I don't know if you've ever experienced a time where you were in a rut, like you couldn't get out no matter what, you couldn't get out, like you couldn't pull yourself out, something maybe it happened to you, maybe you'd done something, and you were just in this funk. You know what I'm saying? You were just in this place. Years ago, I was in that spot. I was successful financially, but there was a situation I was in I just couldn't get over. So I'd go to the mastermind group and I would say, hey guys, and I would share with them the problem. They would give me encouragement. They'd give me steps to kind of work out of it. The next week I'd go back, I'd talk about it again. This went on for weeks. Hmm. Then it turned into months. So one day I'm at the Ace Hardware store in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Saturday morning, my phone rings and I look at the phone and it's a guy named James Ryle. James Ryle is a speaker for Promise Keepers, traveled all over the world. Best storyteller I've ever heard in my entire life. He was in our mastermind group. This guy was amazing. I've never heard a storyteller better than this guy. And we never talked to each other on the weekends, ever. We always talked to each other through the week because we respected the privacy of our families. And so the weekends were like taboo. We didn't talk to each other. So when he called, I knew one of two things. This is going to be really good or really bad. So I answer the phone. I was excited because this guy like can walk on water. He's that kind of guy. And I, I couldn't wait to talk to him. So I answer it and I go, Hey James, big A here. And he said, Hey big A, you got a minute? And I said, yeah, sure. I said, hold on. I'm inside of a store. Let me go outside so I can hear you. So I go out in the parking lot and I'm standing in the parking lot and seriously, I'm like excited. And I'm like, man, I don't know what he's going to tell me. This is going to be some good news. And so I put the phone up and I said, all right, James, I can hear you now. He said, big A this morning, I was praying and I was thinking about you. And he said, I was reading in the book of Isaiah and there's a passage that I wanted to share with you. 
And I said, okay. He said, but first I want to tell you something. And I said, okay, what is it? He said, you're wearing the hell out of everybody in our group. And I started laughing. I just busted out laughing. Well, he didn't. And I said, excuse me. He said, we are so sick and tired of hearing this story, the same story week after week, month after month. And you're in this ditch. He said, I want to read you this passage. And he went to the 41st chapter of Isaiah and it said, take the chains from around your neck and move on. He said, Hey brother, it was time you were moving on. And he hung the phone up. Mm. Jonathan, I was so mad. I could have bit a nail into, I was pissed <laughs> off royally. And I said, the audacity of this guy calling me on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock and messing up my whole day. And I was furious. Seriously. I was so mad. Started to walk back in the store and I stepped up on the sidewalk and I grabbed the door and I let go of the door and I thought for a minute and I backed up and I went, he loves me enough to tell me the truth. That, that's what he does. Mm. So I went in the store, got what I needed, went home, told Robin about it. Wednesday morning rolled around. Now I'm a big guy and it's hard to tell that on this video, but I'm six, four, weigh 235. So I'm a big guy. Well, he's five, eight weighs a buck and a half. Okay. He's a little guy. <laughs> so I get there in Dave's office and I walk around the conference table. Dave's got this ginormous coffee table. I mean, a uh, conference table in his, in his office. And I walk around and he looks at me, his eyes are real big. And I lean down and I grab him and I hug him and I tell him I love him. He thought I was going to hit him. And I looked at him and I said, Hey man, you changed my life. I went back around, and sat down. Here's what he did for me because I invested so much time, so much energy year after year after year, he invested in me year after year. He earned the right to tell me the truth. See, if he hadn't have told me that today, I still may be in that posture. Mm. Well, guys, who do you have in your life that you're investing time and energy with that's earned the right to tell you something hard? I could talk for hours on similar circumstances, relationship problems we've had, financial issues that we've dealt with. In our mastermind group today, we have 130 men from nine different countries, and they all bring something different to the table. It may be relational. It may be financial. It may be professional. It could be personal. I don't know what the situations are particularly, but they always have trusted advisors. They always have people around them that are non-biased. They're non-emotional. They can make an intellectual decision. See, when we're caught up in the middle, we make emotional decisions, which are wrong. We need to make intellectual decisions. And this allows us to have people that spend week after week with us to speak into our life because they've earned the right. And if you don't have that, I don't know what you do. I don't know how you pull yourself out of the ditch and move on. I don't know where you get your relationships, your resources, that edification, uh, that encouragement that we all need. And when you're in a mastermind group, that's what it offers you. You mentioned Robin several times in this conversation. And obviously it's, I, I like to hear what it's like to have a partner, mm. to have a friend because Robin, from what it seems, and I don't know her, but I can tell just the amount of love and appreciation that you have. So whether it's a business partner that you mutually love or whether it's a life partner, what is that like to you? What does that mean to you? You know, Robin and I met uh, when she was 16 years old. 
I was 17 years old and we met at a local teenage hangout place, you know, where <laughs> we live. And, uh, it's kind of a funny story. This is not really relevant to your question, but it's kind of funny. I was sitting on the hood of my car. She drove around with a girlfriend and saw me and I waved at her and she cruised around again. And I waved at her again. Third what time. What car are you sitting on? I got a 200 Datsun 200 SX. Cause I just envision you in like yeah. full Fonzie type of outfit. Like, <laughs> that was me. That was me. <laughs> I used to have a lot of hair with the Barry Gibbs BG look, you know, nice. and the sideburns, the gold chain. It. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so she comes around, but before she gets to my car, she tells her girlfriend, Patricia, she said, you see that guy? She said, yeah, I was alone. I was sitting by myself. She said, I'll marry him someday. Mm. we've yet to speak. She comes over, we start talking, we start dating two weeks out of high school. We get married. Mm. So Robin and I, this June will celebrate 39 years of marriage. Robin lived in an environment very similar to mine. Uh, matter of fact, if she could have been more poor, she was mm. Robin is one of six children and her dad was in construction as well. She was the baby of six, five sisters and uh, a brother. So there were seven children total. And she was the baby of the group. All the other kids had gone by the time we started dating. So Robin and I forged a great relationship in that. Robin's been my biggest advocate. She's been my biggest supporter. We didn't have anything when we started. And Robin was always there to help me. So for 39 years now, actually 41 years uh, we've been together 39 years. We've been married two weeks. I waited on her to get out of high school and then we got married. So I can't even begin to tell you the support and the help and the advocacy that she's uh, been there for me every step of the way. But I've always treated her like I should. I've always respected her and treated her like the lady, uh, like the support, uh, not my underling, but my equal. And that's what we have to do. You know, guys, it's the same thing that we have to do in partnerships. And Jonathan, if I could be allowed to share a story with you about a partnership arrangement, I think will be beneficial. So after the sale of my business, when I was 27, I went back to the company that I started with when I was 13 years old. And I said, Hey, why don't we go in partners together? And so a lot of conversation happened over that for a six or eight month period. And we decided to do that. So I worked three days a week and my partner worked three days a week. And we did that for nine years. It was an amazing arrangement. We quadrupled that business over a nine year period. But before we ended uh, the negotiations, there was one thing left undone and that was my salary. And I said, you know, I don't even care, you know, like I don't need it right now. But he said, no, he said, you bring value and you need to take a salary. We had everything else worked out. So I came to him and we went to dinner and I said, Hey, this is what I think I should make as a salary. And he said, no, sorry, we can't do that. And I didn't know what to say. It caught me off guard. It was like, you know, we had great relationship and I didn't know what to say. And so we paused and there was this silence and I'm like, well, I told you that's cool. So whatever you think is fine with me. And he said, no, the truth of the matter is you're worth double that. And that's what we're going to pay you. And I'm like, what? And he said, no, he said, you bring a lot to the table and you're worth double. Well, I had said a pretty good salary. You know what I mean? I mean, when I said it and then I was taken back 
And then he said, no, listen, big A, he said, we're going to rock this thing. And I want you to be happy. I want you to be totally satisfied. That did something in me at that dinner that night, showing that that partner cared enough about me to pay me double what I asked for. And as a result of that, we both locked arms. We formed this culture and this chemistry that we quadrupled that business in a nine-year period. See, if he had tried to undermine me or undercut me, it would have equally done something detrimental. It would have taken something away. So my point in telling you the story is always think about the other person. You always want to think about your mate. You always want to think about your partner. You want to think about their good. You want to be that servant leader. And a lot of you guys are listening to this and you're going, no, man, that's not the way it's done. Well, yes, it is. I've done this for 40 years, 12 businesses to my credit. I'm not boasting, but I'm saying I've been down this trail. Every time you try to undermine or undercut your mate or your partner, it's going to cost you big time. But when you go in and you drop the veils and you say, hey, listen, I'm interested in your well-being. And this is what we did with people that work for us. I've had hundreds and hundreds of people over the years work for me. And the people that were the best were the people that I spent time with and said, hey, Jonathan, what are your goals? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your aspirations and how can I help you accomplish your goals? That's the person that'll run through a wall for you. That's the person that'll work long hours. But when I go in and say, hey, dude, I, you know, you're working for me. Like, I don't care what your goals are. It's important you show up. That does something to you inside and you resent that person. You're not going to work hard for that person. The other thing is, is you want that person to eventually leave. And you're like, what are you talking about? I want you to better yourself. When you work for me, I want you to go out on your own and experience what I've experienced. I've helped five people go out on their own, two of them in direct competition with me to help them accomplish their goals and dreams. They respect you as a result of that. Here's my point, Jonathan, we're to be givers, not takers. And there's great books out there that you can read on this. Carol Dweck talks about it in her book, Mindset. We've got to have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And when you have that growth mindset and you look outward for other people, your success will be double along with your significance. Dave Ramsey was quoted saying, that you're a man of wisdom and the answers to all of your question, all uh, the answers to all of my questions have that underlying tone of just complete and utter wisdom. And I know I'm grateful for this and I'm sure all the people that are listening are as well. You mentioned understanding and we'll kind of close the, the conversation with just a couple more questions, but understanding is so critical and being on that aspect of thinking about others. I feel like it's a progression of life. When you're in your first 20 years, 30, maybe even 30 years, you're this extremely selfish, self-centered, you know, a-hole to some degree. And as you get older comes more time and wisdom and experience and things like that. Um, when do you think that was that aha moment where you just, naturally think about, I mean, you've given already all these amazing stories, but like, could you point me back to the specific time that you just was like, I'm not thinking about anybody but myself anymore. And I need to think about the other person. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately it was August 1st, 2001 when I was headed to the office and I mentioned earlier 
just briefly, and I'm glad you asked this question because it gives me an opportunity to talk about it. Not that I like to, but I need to. When a guy named Enrique that was 77 years old from the Philippines was crossing the street to catch a bus, didn't look my way, and I ran over and killed this pedestrian. I don't want to bring us down, but the truth of the matter is, is that life is fragile and we never know when something could happen to us immediately. And what I discovered through that was what would my legacy have been had that been me? Here's what my legacy would have been. Poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes enough money to retire by the time he's 27 and nobody cares. And I felt extremely embarrassed and I felt very selfish. And it took me five years. I sold the business when I was 40 and Robin and I traveled extensively. We built a new house, kind of got my legs back under me. People say, well, you got over it. And I said, no, <laughs> you don't get over killing somebody. God gave me the grace to be able to deal with it going forward. Just like you today, whoever's listening to my voice, regardless of what you've done, God can give you that same grace. And it's a choice. And I chose to pick myself up and move on. Well, as a result of that, what I determined was is that nobody cared but my immediate family about my success, but everybody cares about my significance. See, I want Jonathan's life to be better as a result of having known me. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I can do that is by reaching out, sharing with you, encouraging you, helping you accomplish your goals and your dreams. And that aha moment for me happened during that five-year period when I discovered that my life is not about me. My, my life is about the influence that I'm having in the people that's in my sphere of influence, whether it be my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my peers and colleagues, the mastermind members. That's the reason I'm here. As a result of looking outward, you know what's funny, Jonathan? As a result of paying attention to the significance, we've been twice as successful financially. <laughs> Isn't it funny how when you do the right thing, it comes back to you uh, more more so than doing it the wrong way? But that was my aha moment. Did you find God before this uh, that that event, um, or has God been with you this entire time? Yeah, you know, I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. I was raised in a Christian home, uh, but I was a fan of God at that time. I wasn't a follower. Mm. And I think this moment made me realize that my utter dependence is on a supreme being. Mm -hmm. And so through that process, uh, I read up my relationship and said, hey, if you'll give me another opportunity, I promise you that I'll try to live a life of significance simultaneously successful. Because I think God wants us to be successful. He wants us to do great things. And I think that we can't do that by giving halfway. So we too know and teach that you can live a life of success and significance if you'll follow these principles and processes. Final question. What's it like to have a view from the top? <laughs> well, that's a great question. A lot of people say that. And some people say, why did you name it view from the top? My son-in-law actually came up with that name because one day we were talking, he said, big A, what are you trying to teach people? And I said, I want them to understand that they can have a view from the top. And it just, boom, it just hit. Man, when I said that, it just, even now when I tell it, I get these goosebumps. You've got to determine what your view from the top is. 
I can sit here and tell you what my view from the top is. What I want to help you accomplish is uncovering the principles that you can live a life, the view from the top. What is your purpose? What is your why? What is the reason that you're here doing that? It's not, I've got X amount of dollars. It's not those kind of things. It's that you're living your life proactively, being very intentional about what you want to accomplish in your life. And we do teach people every day to have a view from the top. Love it. Well, I wanted to first and foremost, just say again, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you tell everybody a little bit more about where they could find you, buy your book, and if they so choose to be a part of your mastermind group? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on, man. You're a great podcast host. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, you made me feel very warm and welcome. So thank you for that, first of all. Uh, yeah, go to viewfromthetop.com. All of our social media platforms are there. Uh, all kind of ways to get in contact with me and my phone, uh, my email, everything is there. I'd love for you to follow me. We do four or five, uh, four or five Facebook lives a week, and I would love to have you join me there. Um, if you want to buy the book, you can buy it there. It's in all the major bookstores. It's on Amazon. It's called View from the Top. Very cool. And all of the links will obviously be in the show notes to make sure that we show Aaron some love. Aaron, again, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan. See you, buddy. You've been listening to Blind Entrepreneurship, brought to you by Penji. Our guest this week was Aaron Walker. After the episode, we had a pretty extensive conversation about faith and what God could bring into your life. I was very transparent in saying that I wasn't the most faith-driven or religious person at that, but I do respect the Bible and what it represents. Anytime you can learn from the past and learn from history to better yourself or the ones around you, do it. Okay, listeners, I am sending a worldwide challenge this week. I'd like you to take a look at your to-do list for the day or even the following day. Look at it deeply and think to yourself, is there anything on this list that if I don't do it today, my business will be just fine? Focus on the things that truly matter and the things that move boulders and not pebbles. And when you do, tweet me at J or head over to tbeshow.com and drop a comment on this week's episode. You can find more about Aaron at viewfromthetop.com. The link will be in the show notes. And for us, you could check Penji out at penji.co if you need simple, easy, and affordable graphic design solution for your business. And head over to our podcast website, which again is tbeshow.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you were to share this podcast with a friend, or at the very least, share it all over the interwebs. It's the only way that we can cure blindness in business. Go out there and execute your vision, everybody. Have a great rest of your day.